Hi, this is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me on lawrencehits.com in Lawrence, Kansas, USA. It is National Poetry Month 2017. For those who don't know, that means it's April. Every April is National Poetry Month. And that usually means lots of extra special good things are going on in communities all over celebrating poetry and poets and bringing people together which is one of the beauties of poetry is is connecting people and i will prompt you that april 27th is poem in your pocket day which means that even if you don't get to go to a poetry event around then choose a poem that you would like to share be bold and share it with people on april 27th well you could even as Richard Hansen of those wonderful poems for all says, you could scatter poetry like seeds, you know, you can leave it places. But one of the things I love about poetry is that thing about it's communication that brings people together, sometimes to laugh, sometimes to cry, sometimes just to enjoy beauty. And I say just, I think I want to take the word just as a qualifier out of my vocabulary. Doing beauty is so important. Sometimes we forget to do that. For me, connection and poetry also relates to guests on my show. This person leads me to this person, to this person, to this person, and the web of connected poets and writers and publishers and others becomes bigger and bigger every day, and I love that. And today's show gets credited to the lovely John Yamras, who is in Pennsylvania, who has said to me for about a year and a half, maybe two years, you must get this person on your show. And today it finally happens. And I welcome Mark Statman. Yay, finally. Hi. Yay, <laughs> finally. Welcome to, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be wherever we are. <laughs> And, You're in and Kansas, John is in Pennsylvania, yeah. and I'm in Oaxaca, Mexico. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. You're one of those ones who decided it was time to be someplace other than here after November, I believe. Is that true? <laughs> well, actually, it was um, before November. It was um, September okay, 1st good. we moved down here. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen, uh -huh. <laughs> um, but... Um, it's it's certainly been interesting um, being in Mexico um, and and watching um, um, from here what's been going on in, in the United States and uh, mm -hmm. and 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 also uh, trying to explain the United States to to people yeah. here since since there's such general goodwill in Mexico for the United States but mm -hmm. and thus the the animus from the current administration is something that people don't quite understand, mm -hmm. which wow. I don't think was where we're going to go with poetry, but <laughs> I, it's, I mean, if, 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 if it's the thing of the newspapers that uh, Williams tells us about, that's what's in the newspapers right now here. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I will put a, a link to a blog that you shared with me about you and Mexico, because I think I think that is relevant for people. So tell us all some of like who you are and why John Yamros is so excited that we're finally doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why John. I don't know why John is excited about me. I know why I'm excited about John. I actually I actually got to write uh, the 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 intro or the preface. Um, 
to um, one of his books a couple uh -huh. of years ago. Um, I just think he's he's such a marvelous poet. Um, who am I? I'm a I'm a poet and translator. Um, um, born in New York City, uh, spent a lot most of my life living in Brooklyn, and um, and I was a I was a professor for thirty plus years of 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 poetry um, at Eugene Lyon College at the New School in New York City, and and I published. Gosh, my ninth book just came out. Um, was just coming out this month. And I don't know. Um, I'm married <laughs> to a wonderful painter named Catherine Koch. And I have a son who's a terrific musician who's right now on tour in Europe who goes by the name of Cannonball Statman. His name is Jesse Statman. How's that? Is that a good thumbnail? That's very um, cool. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, moved down to Oaxaca cool. September 1st. Wow. Yeah. Because uh, it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. And so I'm in Lawrence, Kansas, in the middle of the U.S., and you gifted me with lovely books of yours. And I'm looking at this book that says, Never Made in America. It's a book of your translations. And I flip it over and I look at the different um, people who commented. And who do I see but one of our wonderful Kansas City-based poets who is from Mexico, Yes. Carasa. That's right. And it's like a small world. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in fact, she had me out um, to read in Kansas uh, City. Um, I, I read um, at the at the 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 not the the, museum. the writer's place maybe. Oh, no, no, I read at, at, a, at a museum there. Um, oh. I was, the Nelson I, I was, Atkins is a big art. Not museum, the but, not the Nelson okay. Atkins. It was one that it was one that um, my God, there was a. What I remember most is that there was a, a beautiful exhibition on, on Negro League baseball players. Oh, well, there is a Negro League baseball museum. That must have been where I read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a marvelous, marvelous space. Yes. Um, she, uh, she's a wonderful poet. Um, yes. I, got, I actually um, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with her. She's, she's actually right now, I think, the, the poet in residence at, at West, in Westchester, New York. Um, okay. I think she goes in once or twice a year. Um, and does work there. Wonderful. Yeah. So it's it's always fun to see how people that I didn't know were connected were are connected, and mm -hmm. I, and I always laugh about this because I always say, Jeanette taught me what acrostic poetry is, and there's something uh -huh. about that phrase that I love. Plus, I love what it is. You know that that linking of different arts, um, and sure. many people who who create multiple arts or who write inspired by some art and who create other art inspired by poetry. I love those connections. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of wonderful. Yeah. So you said that you taught for 30 years. You taught poetry, and I want to go back further in time. So I always am excited to learn about how people connect with poetry, like early on when you realized you would love reading it, writing it, whichever came first or whether they came together, you know, when did you realize that poetry was important in your own life? Oh boy. Um, well, you know, like, like a lot of people, um, I wrote in high school, right? Because that was what you did. You, uh, you know, if, if, because, you know, one's soul is suffering and you know there's all the darkness of adolescence and stuff like that and um and so i and 
and I wrote some really, really, really awful poetry. Um, and, and, and in fact, I remember being a sophomore in high school and I, and I had written these terribly bad poems and, and I, and, but there was going to be an, an open mic or something like that. And so I showed them to a friend of mine who was considered the school poet or whatever. And, and um, I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be reading these at the open mic, you know, later today. And she said, oh, really? And so she said, can I hold on to these? And I said, yes, you know. And so when we got to the time of the open mic and I said, I need my poems. And she said, I lost them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, this was my, the beginning, this is my, the first criticism I ever received. <laughs> um, but 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 um, but I I I I sort of persevered and um, and then when I got to um, to college um, I, I went to Columbia and where I got to study with um, among other people um, the great poet the great poet and teacher Kenneth Koch who um, who taught this wonderful imaginative writing class and he only let twelve people into it and um, and you had to submit a portfolio and all this stuff and i and i i happened to be the 13th person on the list um and fortunately one of the 12 who had been admitted um decided not to uh take the class and so i i got into the class and i became um and and, and kenneth just just sort of like turned me into someone who began to understand how to read poetry and think about poetry and and, and not just like love it because I was able to blurt out my feelings, but love it because if one worked really hard at it, one could do something really powerful and, and strange and, and funny and strong and beautiful and witty and argumentative and whatever. And, and, and I ended up studying with Kenneth for a while. And, and then um, in my senior, this is just, I, this is a funny sidetrack, but in my senior year of college, um, Kenneth and the poet Ron Padgett, who's become very famous now because of the new Jim Jarmusch movie um, about Patterson. Um, Ron and Kenneth were giving a reading at Columbia, and I was the person introducing them at this reading. And Kenneth introduced me to this young woman. He said, this is my daughter. And I said, oh, that's very nice. And um, because I had a girlfriend and all that stuff. And then... Um, a year and a half later, uh, that daughter and I um, got married. Um, ah. and so Kenneth, who was my, my professor, became my, went from being the older poet to the, to the father-in-law to the best friend. Um, ah. and, uh, or second best friend, because his daughter was first and is first 30-plus um, years later. So um, I got very, so, but, but when I was in college, just to sort of let this go out, um, I got to know some wonderful poets, many of whom um, you know, are still working today. They were in my class, we were quite a generation. Um, Joseph Lease, who's a marvelous poet. Um, um, uh, Jeff Harrison, who I think is featured in today's, um, in one of the, uh, I think he's on the Writer's Almanac, featured today, a, a poem of his, um, Jeff Harrison. Um, Jeffrey Julek was part of our, our group. Tori Dent, who died very young um, um, from HIV was also in that group. She published a very beautiful first book before she died. So we were, we, we were a, a group that spent a lot of time talking with each other. We still do, um, listening to each other. And um, so I think we inspired each other a lot. So I think when, when you were talking before about, about poets who meet poets who meet poets, we were able to start a community, I think, that's kept us all going um, for a long time. 
Lovely story, man. That those connections that happen um, by serendipity. I don't. I don't know what other word to say. That you you were in this group in college, and yeah, those became very meaningful relationships as well as you all becoming writers of, of huge skill and gift. And that's that's really wonderful. It was it was a, a very exciting time, and I think it's very. I mean, you know, I I, I sometimes think about that those I mean serendipitous moments right when a sort of a moment happens when poets get together or people get together and they discover something in common you know I mm-hmm. you know we don't I, I think that you know there's a way in which um, you know one thinks about like the generation of 27 in Spain or the generation of or, or the group of 30 in Mexico or you know or the New York school or the beat poets um, and you you sort of wonder if, if those kinds of things can really happen anymore because because of things like technology and because we're able to to you know I'm able to talk with you in Kansas and talk with John in Pennsylvania or talk with Joseph least in in San Francisco um, or uh, you know or, or David Shapiro who's who's the teacher who's who's one of, who's our teacher also at Columbia um, we're able, able to all talk and we're all able to, all able to be very dispersed and, and we don't need to be all in the same place at the same time anymore. Um, I, I, I sometimes wonder if those kinds of groups can, um, can happen again. Although I have to say that I, the last, in the last couple of years that I was teaching at Eugene Lang, um, I did see a group of young poets coalesce who I'm, I'm kind of excited about thinking about what they might do in, in, in 10 or, or, or 15 years. Um, mm-hmm. One of them just sent me his, uh, that he has a new book um, of poems out. He just graduated two years ago, a young poet named, Jamal Golden, um, it's quite good work. So it's really interesting to think about, you know, how movements happen or how groups happen or how communities happen. Yeah, that is, is really interesting. And it, and it parallels, you know, a conversation that, that I'm hearing and involved with in a whole different realm, which is in my work in suicide prevention, that, that big conversation about, technology and how people use technology, including people who are feeling very vulnerable and unsafe, right. you know, and, and the kind of connections that people do build through technology and, and people who really turn there rather than to people in the room with them. Right. And the weirdness of it, like that, that what Facebook is now like able to see if people seem suicidal as though like the Facebook computers can like detect that someone is, you know, having feelings or something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's sort of because of emojis. I don't know how they, how they're doing that. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, it's that, that thing of scanning for certain words and et cetera, that, that have been correlated to certain kinds of risk. It's, it's interesting. And, and I, I go back in time and think about, well, you know, people used to talk in person because that's the only way they could talk. And now when we talk in person, it's by choice. And, 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 and I'm, I'm one of those old school people. It's like, if my friend lives in my community, I don't want to have a phone conversation with that's that right. person. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have one friend who hates me for that. It's like, I don't want to talk to you while you're on your cell phone walking exactly. your dog. <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's true. I actually I was, you know, I mean, because because of because of 
certain certain kinds of things down down, down here in Mexico um, because of the, the costs of telephone calls. Like like most people, they 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 you know they sort of recharge their phones. Like they they like they like they get a certain amount of time, and then they you know they go into any kind of store, and you can just you know you know get get extra time added to your phone. But um, WhatsApp is is free on everyone's phones. So so um, people are always using WhatsApp, you know, sort of like typing, you know, you know, messaging each other. And I, I had, I wanted to get in touch with a friend here yesterday and about getting together today. And, and I realized that there are all these complicated moving parts. And I thought, and I wrote to her and I said, may I call you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just because, it, you know, because, it, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, use up her, her, her valuable, um, yeah. you know, her minutes, you know, and, and she's like, of course, you know, <laughs> talking. What a great, you know, concept. <sighs> so I want to know a little bit as you were talking about this and getting these hints of, you know, life there versus, you know, my imagination of life in Brooklyn. Oh. <laughs> how, how, did, how did you all decide as a family that, this city of Oaxaca de Juarez is where you would end up for at least the time being. Well, um, that's, that's, I mean, it, it wasn't just a, you know, you know, we, I, I had decided my, my, um, in last, last, last May, um, um, my good friend, the, the poet and scholar and fiction writer, Robin Mukherjee, um, suddenly died at the age of 54. And so, um, and I, I, and I had just turned 58 and I realized that, um, that, you know, I just been 30 plus years teaching, you know, writing and, but also, but, but I realized that, that, you know, I didn't want to die in my, um, that way. <laughs> like I wanted to, there were other things I wanted to do. And so, and so I made a very sudden decision to retire from teaching and devote myself full time to writing. And, and, and so, you know, and, and so we didn't just idly like, 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 you know, point at a place on the map. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, in, in 1986 or 87, I actually came to Oaxaca for the first time. Um, and, and it's just, and it, it's really just this beautiful city. It's a UNESCO, um, like, United Nations um, protected city because it's an, sort of an international treasure. It's a, you know, it's located between some in, among some of the great um, um, uh, Zapotec and Mixtec, you know, Mayan ruins um, that there are um, in Monte Alban and in Meatlands at Chile and, um, and all and all over the area. And so I had first come down here in the eighties, and Catherine came down here, and and we we were down here, and we we really fell in love with the place, and we continued to come back. Um, at different times of the year and summers. Um, we came down with our son in 1993. Um, and then, and, um, and, and I, I always felt like at one point I was going to come back to this beautiful city for good. It just, it felt like a very special place. William Burroughs says something in Naked Lunch um, to paraphrase. And he says, when you cross the border from the U S to Mexico, something drops off you, like some, some burden drops off you. And I always felt like that um, coming here. And so and then a year ago in January, I was one of the invited poets to be part of the U.S. Poets in Mexico conference. Um, 
and it was a really great group um, of poets. Um, Eileen Miles was part was one of us. Uh, there were like four or five of us. Eileen, Major Jackson, um, um, Charles Alexander, who runs Chax Press in Texas. Um, so a bunch of us were were down here, and there were all these wonderful poets that we got to spend a lot of time talking with. And and so we were in Oaxaca for this week long conference, and I wasn't able to do anything um, except be with the the poets. Uh, I didn't have time to do anything, but then. Um, but but Catherine and I decided to spend an extra week after the conference, and we just spent a lot of time walking around and driving around and and thinking. And we looked at each other. We said, you know, we really could live here someday. And then when May came and my 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 friend suddenly died, I I realized now's the time. And so we we sold our home of 25 years in Brownstone, Brooklyn, which we loved. Um, and and we're down here, and Catherine and I became permanent residents. So we're not just here for a lark. We actually just bought, we were renting a big house in the center of Oaxaca, in Central. It's a beautiful old house, um, um, very big, has a big courtyard and a fountain and all this kind of stuff. But we just bought a very little house in the mountains um, in San Pedro Huistlaca, um, Huistaca, um, um, and, and so in a little piece of land. So we use that as a little kind of country getaway, artistic getaway. Um, and so we're, we're here. I mean, we still vote. Our voting is in Brooklyn. <laughs> so when we voted in the last election, we, were, we, we counted as Brooklyn residents and we still will because that's the way the laws in the U.S. go. Wherever you last voted is where you're, in, if you're a, you're uh, living abroad that's your place of residence so that's 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 how we came down here um and oaxaca is a quite an amazing city it's in southern mexico um it's in the tropics but it's in the mountains so it's pleasant most of the year um yeah well and and that that prompts me to ask something else which is you obviously learned not just the language, but culture to be able to do the translation work that you do. So Spanish and you, where did that connection begin? Wow. Um, Spanish and Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really studied Spanish. I grew up, um, so my father's family um, left Eastern Europe in the um, 20s and 30s um, uh, to, to um, immigrate to, um, to to this to the you know to the, the new world as it were because of you know the rising anti-Semitism um, they were in Poland um, and um, and so the majority of my father's family ended up in in Cuba and um, and and was there for for decades and then and many of them and then when with the the Cuban Revolution. Some of them fought with Fidel, and some of them fought against Fidel, and um, and but all of them eventually left the island um, and came to the United States, to New York, Miami, uh, Philadelphia, um, and so I grew up hearing Spanish. Um, where you know, in my for my a lot of my aunts and uncles and cousins, Spanish was the first language. Um, Yiddish was the second language, and, it, and English was the third language. <laughs> Um, and so I grew up, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of people will talk about their, their, their aunts make, you know, their chicken and, and knedlo or dumplings. Right. And I would talk about my aunts, arroz con pollo. Um, oh, uh -huh. 
and so so I grew up listening to it and then and then um but I never studied it and then I started working um sometime as a as a journalist in Central and South America I did a lot of work in Nicaragua and Costa Rica and Colombia Ecuador Peru um in the 80s and and that caused me to have to really sort of actually think harder and work harder on my Spanish um and and so I have a, a a very strong reading ability with it and a strong and a good writing ability. My speaking is not great because I mainly listen. Um, but um, and Spanish is very different. Like you know, it's it's a little bit like like to say Spanish is like it's not this sort of homogenous language. Um, Spanish in Uruguay, for example, the new book is a translation of Martín Barrera Matos's poetry. He, Martín is from Montevideo. And Spanish in, in, in Uruguay is very different, for example, than Spanish in Colombia or Spanish in Mexico. Um, there are words in, I mean, there are words in, in Mexican Spanish that, that, um, that, that just don't like translate um, anywhere else or, or, or mean uh, sometimes even the opposite. Or um, there was this mm-hmm. funny headline where the, the very unpopular president of, of Mexico, um, Enrique Peña Nieto um, said, like, there's a headline where he, he said something to the effect of, um, you know, no, yo no despierto cada mañana pensando en cómo joder el país, which in any other, like, if you were in Spain, that would mean I don't wake up in the morning thinking about how to fuck over the country. Um, but, yeah. but in, but in, I, I, was I allowed to say that? On, yeah, on you're fine. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but in, 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 in Mexico, it means the verb joder doesn't mean to fuck with. It means to mess with. Um, it's a very, so, I, but I looked at that headline and for a second, I like, my jaw dropped. I was like, did he really say that? You know, did yeah. they really put that on the, the, the <laughs> it was like the headline on, on the, one of the yeah. major daily newspapers. So Spanish is a, so one of the big adjustments for me here um, in Mexico is, is just trying to understand sometimes when people are talking, I go like, what? That's not a real word. And then it turns out that it is, but it's just here. Um, like there's a, well, I could go, I could talk for an hour just about Mexican Spanish, but I don't think that's. <laughs> be well, I want to, I want to share something that John Yamras um, wrote to me about having, having you on the show. Um, he, John, John wrote, you know, his translations are fantastic. I never liked reading Lorca in my entire life. I never really got what all the fuss was about until I read Mark's translation of Poet in New York, and then I got it. Mark was the guy who taught me the difference between a pedestrian, workmanlike translation and one that lit up the page. Wow. That's very kind of John. Um, <laughs> um, well, translation is a funny business. Um, it's a funny thing to do. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I and, and I should, I should note that the, that, um, the, the, the translation of Poet in New York that, that John is talking about, I did with, um, Pablo Medina as well, who's a wonderful poet and novelist and a very good friend. Um, but, you know, translation is, is, you, you know, there, there are ways to think about translation. Um, one of them is that, that, um, you know, there are, 
there are two ends of the spectrum. One is that you should, you know, like um, Vladimir Nabokov was famous for saying, you have to be very exact. Everything has to be literally what's on you. Go literally word for word. That's how you should translate it. Um, and then Robert Lowell, who, um, you know, who's a, you know, these days a very overlooked poet, um, um, talked about, you know, he did translations and he called them imitations because he, he because he thought the idea was to be inspired by the the text and not to think you had to be have this sort of faithfulness to the text. Um, I kind of fall in the middle, um, and and you know, and, and which is that I'm a poet who translates. I'm not a translator. I'm not an academic, though I spent all these years in academia. I don't. I'm a poet, and that's and and so what I'm interested in doing is not you know translating Spanish, but translating poetry. And so so when I translated. So when Pablo and I translated Garcia Lorca or when I translated Hinojosa or I translated Martin Berea Matos, the idea was not to translate their Spanish, but was to figure out how to take what they wrote, which is in a language that's named Lorca or Hinojosa or Barrea Matos, and figure out how to, how to, which looks like Spanish, and to try to figure out how to make that look and sound like Lorca, Barrea Matos, Hinojosa in a language that looks like English. So the whole point is, is, to, is to keep the poetry alive and not keep the, 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 the Spanish alive or the English alive. And that's a very risky thing to do because it, you have to really, you know, um, Pablo would say we have to get under the skin of the poet, you know, and, and, that's, and that's not always you know, easy and it's risky because sometimes, you know, you might take, you, you, you know, you have to take some chances and, and, um, and that's why you, one always wants to have good readers, you know, you know, who can sort of um, challenge you and call you back and say, no, 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 that's not, that's not Barea Matos. That's Statman. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's bring, you know, Martine back into the picture. Mm-hmm. So it, but it, but, but John is right. I mean, Lorca was not well translated um, at least as far as, Pablo and I could tell, and that's one of the reasons we did that that translation um, of Poet in New York. Um, and we were really fortunate. Um, not only did John Yammers like it, but John Ashbery called it the, um, you know, the 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 you know, I forget exactly what John said, but he said something like the, you know, the the best translation you know ever or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's lovely that the explanation that you gave of the difference in ways of translating and it and it helps me understand something. When I first met Jeanette Carassa at that time, she had a, a a couple of recent books that had her poetry in Spanish um, art that uh, was inspired by her poetry or vice versa. And somebody else did the English poems, the English translations of, of her poetry. And clearly, Jeanette is fluent in English. And so I, I didn't really understand her choice of not being the one to actually put her own poetry into English. And I think that, that your explanation of those different ways of translating really speaks to that, um, that she let somebody else... Um, who was a native speaker of English, do the work of getting her ideas into, as you put it, what what looks like English. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, because because you know, no, I mean, even if you, we think about 
you know, we think about someone like, you know, I mean, a poet who's very dear to me is Elizabeth Bishop. And Elizabeth Bishop certainly doesn't write in English. I mean, she writes in Elizabeth Bishop. And so, <laughs> and so we have to, and so how we, how, and, and that's why I think that, that, that translation, literary translation is really hard. And, 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 and a lot of people, you know, sort of, um, they really just think, oh, you can use Google Translate or something like that, and <laughs> and, and 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 you've got it. And and it's and it's and it's there's there's so many different things, you know, like 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 you know, if a poet is insisting on, you know, a certain kind of series of sounds or series of words. Um, in fact, you know, I can can we can do this? Like, let me. Can I read something? Absolutely. Um, yes. So this is this is from as long as we're talking about translation. So in the, the and I'm not going to read it because it's a very long poem. But the last poem in the first part of Never Made in America, which comes from um, one of Martin's books called um, Por Hora, Por Dia, Por Mes, by the hour, the day, the month. So the first, so the la this last, so it's, it's it's all one really one long poem divided in 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 into parts by typeface. Right, and so this is a, sort of a selection of of the poems from, from there, and it's divided by typeface. And the last sort of poem, as it were, or sort, sort, section of poem, um, Martin starts with the idea of um, he's going to he's going to be using this sort of alliterative thing of starting most words with the letter E because the the, the idea is for estacionamiento or parking, right? The E. So it goes. So he he starts with the he, the the, the first, the poem begins, la E, e the E, la E resultó economía del lenguaje, la ecuación al sur y norte del Ecuador, la edad del Edén, la educación en efecto efímera, el ego, el eje, ejemplo, ejercicio, el elástico, electo, como electricidad, blah, blah. So he just goes on and on with, the, with his E. So I had to translate those, I had to pay attention to his E, right, mm -hmm. I had to respect his E, and at the same time I had to get the idea of the poem. Right, so I had to come out, so I came out with the E came out of an economy of language, the equation south and north of the equator, the age of Eden, education, in fact, ephemeral, the ego, the axis, example, ex exercise, he, elastic, elected, like electricity, electric appliance, elephant, elegant, elemental. So I had to do, I had to pay attention to his E because that was his, like, that was the, that's the driving thing for him in the Spanish, but it meant sometimes I couldn't use the exact word that he wanted, that would have, the exact Spanish word, mm -hmm. because it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have, co it wouldn't have been coherent. And sometimes I did break because I felt like, like I was going to sacrifice some kind of meaning and some kind of, you know, idea. Um, so there was this, it's, it's just this kind of, you know, back and forth and you really have to understand why the poet wants this and what the poet is thinking about. And, the interesting thing about working with Martin or the, with his poetry is that he's actually a living poet. It's one of the first times I've ever worked with a poet who was alive. Um, <laughs> and, and so it meant, but it meant that I could ask him questions, right? I could say, I don't understand what's going on here at all. And in fact, w at one point, he, we were talking about um, a, a, another set of poems that's in that, uh, this environmental anthology, this anthology of environmental poetry that's coming out um, in the U.S., um, on Earth Day, um, also published by my publisher, Lavender Ink Dialogos. And, um, but, but I was translating these poems for that anthology, and 
And I, I said, Martin, I'm, I'm, I wrote to him, I said, Martin, I'm struggling with some of the things that you're doing here. And he wrote to me and he said, oh, well, you have to understand that these are written from the point of view of a cow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, and, I, and of course, if you're from Uruguay, this makes perfect sense because this is a cattle country. People eat there. I think the average is, they, the average person eats two pounds of beef a day, right? So the idea of like, that it would be from the point of view of a cow is kind of normal for you know, Martin, but the idea that, you know, this person from Brooklyn, you know, uh -huh. it, it was like, so I was like, how should, you know, so it was, so it was great that I could like actually call him, you know, write to him or call That's him up a, and we've yeah. we been able to talk. <laughs> um, at the same time, he disagrees with me sometimes. Um, uh -huh. uh, his, his English isn't very good, but it's okay. And his, his girlfriend, who's this wonderful um, poet from Argentina named Juana Reguero, um, who's actually translating some of my work, she speaks very good English, and, and and so I think she would sometimes like make suggestions to him, and I and and and, and fortunately he was very respectful of, of of me when I would say, you know, no one says that in English. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so, but um, but yes, but it's interesting working with a living poet because they they disagree with you, and they um, you know, they want to know you know how many copies of the book they're going to get. And <laughs> Okay. Hey, we need to take a little break. I, I have been enjoying this so much. I wasn't looking at my clock. So quickly, I want to say this is Mark Statman, who I'm talking with. This is a wonderful conversation. Stay tuned. We're going to hear from a couple of Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And we'll be back with more Mark Statman. And also, I use this moment to say thank you, Daniel Smith, for doing the technology magic so that Mark in Oaxaca, Mexico, and Lawrence, Kansas, are connected and sharing this out into the world. Yay. We'll be right back. Listeners, welcome back to Talk With Me and today my guest, Mark Statman. And Mark, we've been talking and I've been so enthralled with the, the stories of translations and Mexico and culture and language and all oh, so many wonderful things. And I want to make sure that both our listeners and that I get to hear you sharing some of your original poetry. So I'd like, if you will, for us to start this part of the show with you reading some of your work. Okay. Um, anything in particular you'd like to hear? It is up to you. It's National Poetry Month, and so you get to delight us with I get whatever to. you would prefer, from new, from old. I'll, I'll, I'll read, let's see. Um, so this is from my most recent book of poetry called um, That Train Again. And, um, and let's see if I can find something, uh, which came out um, in... 2015. Um, my next book of original poems will come out in two years. So <laughs> this is the most recent stuff you can get. This is called Logos. Tightening the stomach of twisting overlay of backhand doors, backward doors, trap doors, the opening closing that becomes descent or ascent, the world turned upside down, put into the box, any old box. This one came with the grocery delivery, filled with vegetables, bottles, cans, box now taken out to the curb, recycle night. We put the newspapers in. That's the urban. The rural is the trip to the landfill or dump. We call it a dump, as in what a dump, which is nowhere to live. 
though we've lived in some. Our first Brooklyn apartment got great light. We strung a hammock from Merida across the big front room, a family hammock, double woven, threaded blue and pink. It sits now in a drawer, unused so many years. Muffled street voices, muffled car sounds. What do you do with those days that stroll from morning into afternoon without interference? Sometimes there is a hope, sometimes a prayer. What little music comes in through the windows is a fragment of the music of the world. It was a car passing by. It was some people passing by. It was those clouds or some kid who jumped into what was left on the street of the puddles from last night's rain. Now the sun shines for a second. The sun was in the puddle. But with that one jump, the puddle gone. That's the picture. Right now, a puddle disappeared by jump and sun with words left over to figure out how to show what was. Right. Uh, and I and I get stuck in that puddle. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when, one of the things I love when becoming a father, um, many, my, my son is now 23, but I love the idea when he was little that we could, um, you know, we could, after a rain in Brooklyn, we could go out puddle jumping. And, um, you know, he would put on his big boots and we would go out, you know, this little three-year-old, big boots jumping into puddles. And I could jump into puddles too. And, here I was, this you know, middle-aged guy, jumping in puddles, and I thought, man, you know, if I was doing this by myself, people would think I was crazy. But because I have this little kid with me, it's like, what a great dad! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and your son, how did he respond to the puddle jumping? Oh, he loved puddle jumping. Okay. He's a. He's a can I read one other? This is a. Oh yes. Uh, this is because because now I'm thinking about Jesse and uh, this is from um, a book called Map of the Winds, a map of the winds, which um, was my um, I think was my first book with Lavender Ink. Um, um, yeah, it was. And it's called and this is the, the in this poem is the title. It comes the title from the book, A Map of the Winds, and it's called A Gift. And instead of being to Jesse or for Jesse, it's called, it's from Jesse's. So a gift from Jesse. No longer a baby, but just not. You held yourself up by the kitchen window, backyards, Brooklyn. You said, write me a poem called A Map of the Winds. Already you believed there was something I could do. Write me a poem. My happy sense, you believed I could, even if this one wasn't mine to write. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say out loud that when I when I listen to you, your voice touches me in a way that connects me to somebody who's very dear to me. Your your voice reminds me very much of my cousin Martin Cohen, who also is a poet who lives in Brooklyn. <laughs> There's a softness, a, a kindness that I that I experience in in your way of talking, as well as in as that comes through in your reading. That it must that maybe, really it's Brooke, maybe it's it might be a Brooklyn thing. I read a statistic. Um, I read a statistic somewhere that said that one out of every three people in the United States um, has either lived in or knows someone who has lived in Brooklyn. <laughs> Which is pretty amazing to think about, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I, I will give a shout out just randomly to another friend who lives in Brooklyn who doesn't sound like you or Marty, uh, whose name is Chris Hampton and who works for the ACLU. Yay, Chris Hampton. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the groups that, that, that post-November started to get a lot of donations. 
<laughs> yes. And doing a lot of hard work, man, oh, man. Mm-hmm. And Chris's area specifically is with uh, LGBTQ kids, youth Great. stuff. So Great work. I love that that's what she's doing. Anyway, Brooklyn sounds good to me. And then there are these weird connections. So my cousin Marty sends me this menu from this bakery in Brooklyn, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but I can't. But the reason he sends me the menu is because they credit their head baker's experience in Lawrence, Kansas at Wheatfield's Bakery. <laughs> There you go. And I hope they're one of your sponsors. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderfully small world, even though we need to work at connections. Yes, yes, yes. So your poetry obviously is very personal and, and, and the family parts that you've shared are, that's so sweet. And I think for those of us who, who maybe really got poetry um, unfortunately explained as rigid and one meeting and it must yeah. be this way and that way and then go, I don't think I want anything to do with that. <laughs> right. No, it's, it, it's one of the, it's one of the unfortunate, I mean, <clears throat> you know, um, <clears throat> a lot of people will say, um, I don't like math. And I'll be like, how can you not like math? I mean, it's really exciting. And then you find out it's because um, they, they were taught it really badly. Right. And then yeah. they say, well, I, I don't like poetry, and, you'll, and then you'll find out it's because they were taught it really badly, and 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 that's because, you know, because, un, well, I mean, poetry is very in school, you know, poetry is very hard to grade, right? Like, how do you how do you give someone a grade on their poetry? So what you do is you teach, you say, well, we'll do haiku, and if you get five seven five, then you get an A, but if you get you know four eight three, you get a C. I mean, like that, that, it's so stupid. It has nothing to do with. I mean. You, you know, it's 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 just you know a, a very silly thing, and and you know, and, and people, you know, when you read like some of the, the great poets, you know, like when you read Keats's great odes, um, and and you know, no one ever stops and says to to you know you know a high school student, you know, he was he was twenty four when he wrote those, he was twenty three, he was twenty five when he wrote those poems. You know, can you see the young man inside those poems? Can you see the longing? You know, can you see, you know, the, the hoping, you know, like, you know, I mean, so it's, it's a very, very, it's a very strange thing that it's that this beautiful thing is, is so badly taught when it's really about, you know, I mean, what does poetry do? It says, I want, I need, I am, I desire, I hope, I'm afraid, you know, and, and whether it's a political poem announcing those things, like it, almost in a dogmatic way, or it's a sort of personal, intense lyric, you know, which People have been doing that, you know, I mean, read Sappho. I mean, like, you know, go back, like how far back do you need to go? You know, I mean, a lot of my students will say, you know, you know, you know, I, I, I love spoken word. And I say, yeah, so did Homer. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, Homer was nothing more than a spoken word poet. But it, I even once had a, uh, I, was, I was doing work in the schools. I was working with this, this wonderful eighth grade teacher named Billy Talbert marvelous teacher and he said to me i can't get my students to understand you know the odyssey and i said really they don't understand the odyssey you mean like this is a story of a guy who abandons his this is a by the way i should explain this is a school in, in um in in harlem right so these are kids are you know very poor you know, from very tough neighborhood very difficult and, and he, i said your kids don't understand um a father who abandons his wife and son goes off you know, spends time with the lotus eaters and the sirens. 
Um, meanwhile, back in, you know, back home, there are all these guys who are trying to get into his wife's um, pants, you know, and, and kick the kid out of the house. They, they don't understand that. And he said, oh, my God. And he went back and he, and he went back and he explained, you know, the Odyssey as a contemporary, you know, it's obviously it's not contemporary, but there's contemporary themes. And, yeah. and all of a sudden the kids are like, he said, they love the Odyssey. I said, well, yeah, who wouldn't? Like, you know? That's good. I mean, that's, but that's the, the problem is that we think that there's a, we have to teach these things in a, in a, we have to teach things that have contemporary themes, but are not contemporary in a non-contemporary way. And, and, and it doesn't, it, it's not helpful. It's, it's, it, yeah, it makes people upset. <laughs> they don't want to, they don't want to read poetry, you know, it's, and when you were, you, you gave a plug for National Poetry Month and, um, and I, I have to say, I, I do National Poetry Month with a certain kind of you know, guardedness and melancholy, the way I do Women's History Month or Black History Month. Like, yeah. you mean women only have history in March and yeah. Blacks only have history in February and we only read poetry in April? Right. You know, you know but I, I understand why we have the focus, you know, uh -huh. but at the same time, I want to say, let's read poetry. Let's have a poem in our pocket every day. You know, let's yes. have, let's, yes. let's, let's talk about this stuff all the time. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I will say, I have a poem that my cousin Marty gave me in 2012 that is in the case of my phone. So it's with me all of the time. And I also have a poem by a, a wonderful and dear friend and poet in Topeka, Kansas, Annette Billings. And that one is in the pocket of the, the bag that I carry my, my stuff with in terms of when I'm going places with some work projects, et cetera, you know? So, so yes, carry poetry and share it always. <laughs> right. Poetry, poetry everywhere. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So that, that gets me so many places. And I want to make sure that in the time that we have, you, you also mentioned a book that's coming out on earth day. You know, those kind of announcement -y kind of things, just so people know where to find you, what's going on, what what news do you want our listeners to have? Well, okay, so the book that's coming out on Earth Day um, is called Earth, Water, and Sky, Tierra, Cielo, y Agua, um, and it's an anthology of environmental poetry that came out of South America, and it was sponsored actually by the... Um, the South American Institute for Resilience and Sustainability Studies. <laughs> How about that? And, and it was published first in, um, in um, Argentina. And, and Lavender Inc. Dialogos um, is, is, has, is, has republished it in the United States. And, um, and Lavender Inc. Dialogos is the publisher of Never Made in America, selected poems, poems from Martin Berea Matos that I translated. A wonderful introduction by Jesse Lee Kirchival, who's another marvelous poet, novelist, translator, and she's actually the editor also of not only Earth, Water, and Sky, but of America Invertida, um, which is an anthology of emerging Uruguayan poetry. It just came out um, last year, 2016, from University of New Mexico. Um, so there's a lot of really good stuff that's coming out of, I have to say this coming out of um, South America, in particular in Uruguay. I'm, I'm, I, was, I was down in Montevideo in last April um, for the, um, the Mundial Poetica, um, the world, you know, the sort of the World Cup of Poetry, which had 
I had poets from um, all over South America and Europe and the United States and um, got to spend some time really working with Martin Berea Matos. And, um, and, and I was blown away by, by Uruguay is a tiny country. Um, and yet, and yet it's producing some of the most phenomenal poets. Um, so, um, that's pretty exciting. So that's, that's stuff that's coming up and, um, and I'm going to be in new Orleans in a couple of weeks to, for the launch of never made in America. And Martin Borea Matos is flying in from Montevideo, Montevideo for that event. So now now cool. you said for the launch of Never Made in America. Yeah. Is that At, what Yeah, well, both. Never Made okay. in America is being launched and, okay. the, 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 and the environmental poetry. Both, both are being launched at the same, at the New Orleans Poetry Festival. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah. Very cool. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how that, that, see that, that makes me smile thinking also New Orleans and this delightful, wonderful poet, Todd Cirillo, who is a New Orleans guy who uh, I, I will put a little nudge that, you know, to, I'm sure he'll be there anyway, but gosh. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. New Orleans is, is a very, I, I, because I, my publisher is based in New Orleans, um, the last, let's see, last one, two, three, this will be my, my last three books besides the, the new one um, have been published um, in New Orleans. And so I get to go there at least once or twice a year. Um, and it's a great poetry city. It's really just a lot of fun to be there. And of course, it's New Orleans, right? Mm -hmm. Get to yeah. sit on the Mississippi and, and look out. So I'm I'm just smiling thinking about all of that. So so you have this this April twenty second, which is coming up very soon as this show is being created on April fifth. So you get to it's just take that little break into New Orleans and then get back to the, to the life that you're living in Oaxaca. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, that's the way it'll go. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Should I, should I, should I do another poem? That'd be great. Anything, any kind of poem in particular? Um, I'm totally test gesturing. Excuse me. Well, trusting your right. this is I'm, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read one that that's sort of, yeah, it, it, it's got Oaxaca in it, so why not? All right. Um, all right, so it's called A Record of Progress. Um, okay, a Record of Progress. Let's not start with my CV or my syllabi, my service, my books. Not start with my son's height, six foot three, the length of my marriage from 1982. Let's not start with birth and growth, gold stars, silver stars, no stars, medals, trophies, or names, no names of friends. Bursting in, leaping, here comes the one who saunters, cadences of music dawn. A lot of music gone. A Chinese restaurant in Rome, surprise. Couscous in Cannes. Chapulines at the Mescaleria on the dusty side of a, of a, on the dusty side of a dusty Oaxaca road. Not start with the places, dates that startle me, that pin me down, leave me thinking of car trips, train trips, planes, slow walks through woods, cities on beaches and snow, mountains, rain. Someone else swam the Hellespont, someone else is in Barcelona, someone else across the street whistling from Aida or over the rainbow, or something so brief I can't catch it, not here, not here. I might write that some more, not here, not here, and not there, not there. 
the neti neti, the Hindu's right, not this, not this, defining reality as a not. Those clouds are blank, wrecking the sky with blankness, or building it, building, creating, construction, ending. That's good, ending, not anything, not everything, ending, nothing. So the start, red start, common red start, one in the tree across the yard. Soon comes a red-winged blackbird, brooding cardinal, reading cardinal, equal. All experience comes down to that red start, off into the clouded sky, the blankness, but for a second, that's some life, that red start in flight. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm so happy that we got to do this show finally. And Me too. there's so much to hear about, to, to think about. Um, books to read and buy for those in New Orleans. You heard that Earth Day event with poetry launching Never Made in America and the Environmental Poems Anthology, which I didn't write the name of. What is the name of that anthology? It's Earth, Water, Sky, or Tierra, Cielo, y Agua. Okay, great. So things to look for, and, and those are those... Those are both from Lavender Inc. Those are from both from Lavender Inc. Yeah. Dialogos. Yeah. 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 And and my hope is always that people will buy books as locally as possible, which means if you can buy them from Lavender Inc., do. If you can buy them from your local independent bookseller, do that. Tell them to order it. Tell them to order it. Yes, absolutely. And you see that supports the art in a bigger and better way than going through mega corporations. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in expanding our bookshelves, reading books in print. That's my thing. I love books in print. I love people in person. And if they're too distant to be in person, then technology is fabulous. But if they're you know, close you know what? to be in person, be in person. You know what? An author, an author can't can't autograph your iPad. Exactly. <laughs> so you have the opportunity if you're in New Orleans to get Mark to sign those books. Even better, That's... and and at the poetry events that are happening all over, and they are year round. You get to meet people. You get to connect with people. You get to know things that you're thinking about, other people are thinking about, and that's pretty powerful and important connection. So once again, I wanna thank John Yamras for this introduction, and Mark Stetman, I so appreciate you're doing the show with me. I'm, it was such a pleasure to do this. Thank you. And listeners, I know that you enjoy this just as much as we have. This is great, thank you. <laughs>